Hello, I'm Bruce Edwards, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. Today we talk with Professor Barry Chiswick about the economics of language. Knowing the language of the destination country is very important for immigrant success. The probability of getting a job and earnings rise substantially with an increase in the proficiency in the dominant language in the host country. More than a million migrants have entered Europe this year, according to the International Organization for Migration. And for many of these people, acquiring new language skills will be their next big challenge. Barry Chiswick is Professor of Economics and International Affairs at George Washington University and has done extensive research in the field of language and migration. Chiswick says language skills among immigrants and linguistic minorities are a form of human capital. I began by asking him what human capital means and where the concept comes from. Well, it's actually a very old concept. Uh, Anna Smith talked about it in his 1776 Wealth of Nations. He didn't use that term, but it was clearly implied. And it then fell pretty much out of the consciousness of economists until shortly after the Second World War when economists started thinking more about investment in people. Human capital, in the 50s and early 60s, uh, there was a lot of negativity towards the use of the term because it somehow implied that people were no different than machines or trucks or tractors. But now people have come to realize that it's a term that refers to the skills that are embodied in people. And I guess language is, is one of those skills? Well, language satisfies the three criteria for something to be human capital. It's productive. If I go to France and I want to buy a sandwich, really helps if I know French. So it's productive in consumption in that sense. It has to be created at a cost. It's not a natural resource like sunlight. It is something that involves expenditures of either money or time on the part of somebody. And the third, which is in some sense the most important, it's embodied in the person. So if language is human capital, um, would an economy benefit if uh, everyone spoke the same language? Well, you don't need everybody speaking the same language. All you need is enough people who can communicate with each other. And one of the features of the United States, in contrast to Europe, is that from the earliest stages, English became the lingua franca of the United States. Whereas in Europe, there's the multiplicity of languages, which inhibits trade. And that's one of the features of the United States that helped promote not only the westward expansion, but the growth in the entire economy, that this what might have been a barrier to trade, didn't exist. Now, what we're seeing in Europe is increasingly English is becoming the lingua franca. And in this way, they are reducing the cost of trade. Just as switching from a multiplicity of local currencies to a single currency, the euro, facilitated trade across the European countries. Does Immigration complicate uh, trade relationships, given that it uh, introduces other languages? 
Immigration to the United States started increasing sharply in the late 1960s and from the 1970s on. And this has, in one sense, enriched our culture, and in another sense has had some problems associated with it because a new immigrant coming to the United States who's not proficient in English has much limited job opportunities unless that person moves into a linguistic enclave. And and is that a bad thing? I mean, it seems that a linguistic enclave might help new immigrants settle. Is that not the case? If somebody moves into a linguistic enclave, it's a blessing because in their initial adjustment, they can find housing, they can find a job in the linguistic enclave. But it's a curse because unless they acquire English language skills, they are stuck in the linguistic enclave. And then what's the price they pay for not acquiring those language skills? Well, we know from a substantial amount of research on immigrants in a whole bunch of countries that the probability of getting a job and earnings on the job that one gets rise substantially with an increase in the proficiency in the dominant language in the host country. Is there a difference between migrants uh, simply uh, looking for a better life and political refugees when it comes to their ability to integrate? Uh, There's a substantial difference in the economic adjustment to the host country between what we call economic migrants and refugees or political migrants. Economic migrants are people who purposely went to the destination because they felt that their economic opportunities would be better there. Refugees, although they may want to choose among destinations, they are leaving their origin because of fears concerning their safety uh, and their life. So the motivations for migration are different. Hmm. I suspect the uh, political refugees, uh, having the notion that they may one day return, uh, they might not put as much effort into uh, acquiring new language skills, perhaps? As a general characterization, most immigrants have in the back of their minds that they're going to go home. Now, there are some refugees who know they're never going to go back because they don't want to go back, Uh, particularly those who are from a persecuted minority. And one of the explanations that's often given for why some refugee groups are more successful than other refugee groups actually relates to the expectation of going back. That refugee groups that know ain't never going to go back uh, are more likely to be successful than refugee groups that are harboring, I'm going to say the illusion, that they're going to go back. And I say it's an illusion because, in the main, the bulk of refugees never go back. How do you think the situation in Europe will play out uh, with so many migrants flowing in in such a short period of time? Um, What will it take before these people become productive members of of society in, in whatever host country they end up in? Europe is in a terrible dilemma. For humanitarian reasons, clearly you don't want to seal the borders to the Middle East. Uh, You don't want to see people suffering. You don't want to see people without shelter in in the winters. You don't want to see people starving. 
And so there's compelling humanitarian reasons for admitting them into Europe. On the other hand, I am not optimistic about Europe's ability to successfully incorporate these refugees. With a very large influx of Arabic-speaking migrants, not because they're Arabic-speaking, but because they're speaking one language. And when you have a very large group of migrants who speak a common language, you are more likely to get enclaves formed. You are more likely to see that there's a slower pickup of the destination language. So the fact that the the large majority of the migrants flowing into Europe speak the same language, uh, you're saying that uh, this may well work against them. Small linguistic groups are under much more of an incentive and much more of an opportunity to acquire language skills than is the case for a large linguistic group that can essentially maintain its language and culture inside of the host country. Knowing the language of the destination country is very important for immigrant success, very important for acquiring other skills that are specific to the destination country, and very important for obtaining and keeping steady employment. So it'll mean that it'll, ta- it'll be harder, that their economic opportunities are going to be poorer, and it'll take longer. That was Barry Chiswick, professor of economics and international affairs at George Washington University, talking about the economics of language. You can hear more IMF podcasts like this one on the iTunes podcast app or on SoundCloud. Just search for IMF podcasts.